0: Listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to be talking about the fact that Christ has taken our gloom away. But before we take a look at that, just one quick thing that I wanted to mention to you. If you haven't had the opportunity to do so, I'd encourage you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, where you can download the latest in our series of 30-day devotionals, Desire Jesus, Volume 10. You can download the digital version of that for free right now. It's also available in paperback and Kindle edition on Amazon.com, but again, if you'd like a free digital copy, stop by DesireJesus.com, and you'll be able to download Desire Jesus Volume 10 right now for free. We're happy to share that with you. We hope it's a blessing to you, and we have a, a few surprises coming up very soon in store related to that, but I'll save that for another week. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. This is one of the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus and his incarnation, the fact that he came to this earth in flesh. And in this portion of Scripture, it it tells us that Christ has taken our gloom away. And this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to spend some time together right now, taking a look at it, meditating on its content, and by your grace, growing in our walk with you. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts and help us to understand the content of this portion of your word so that we would grow in our relationship with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I used to be a news fanatic. I would watch the 24-hour news channels every chance I got. Uh, I was up on everything that the news told me was taking place in our country, and everything they said was taking place in the world. I felt like I was up on all of it. And then after a season of realizing that my constant diet of the news cycle was becoming more of a downer than anything else, I stopped watching it so much. And now I can honestly say I barely watch it at all. I certainly try and watch some news, some of the time, but not too much. I had about as much bad news as I could take, and that's typically what you receive when you're watching the news, right? It's usually what burned down or who got shot or where war might be occurring or what financial tumult might be coming our way. It's mostly bad news, and it's very easy to get to a spot where you start to become discouraged by it. And somewhere along the line, I also noticed that even though I don't watch the news very much, I still seem to be on the receiving end of an abnormal amount of bad news, And I've come to accept that reality, because when you're a pastor, you're often asked to pray with and to pray for people who are in times of dire need. Uh, Just the other day, I was asked to pray for a family from a church that I served at when I was in college, because that family tragically lost two of their children in a fire. And it broke my heart to hear that, and I honestly have been thinking about it every day since then. It's not one of those things that leaves your mind very easily. So there's no shortage of bad news in this world, and if we don't possess the capacity to to see beyond this moment in time, we can easily become locked in a very gloomy perspective. But by the grace of God, We're made capable of seeing what's up ahead. The counsel of his word tells us that there is hope for all who trust in Christ, and he is, in fact, the one who takes our gloom away. And when you look at this portion of Scripture from Isaiah, it illustrates that in many different ways. And one of the things that it tells us that Jesus does is he brings light into the darkness. Let me reread the first three verses. This is what they state They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You ever fear that another country is going to invade our country, topple our government, take our land, and put us to death? Now, it's possible that that's something that you may have thought of, but I would suspect that isn't something that you worry about constantly. I don't imagine that most of us worry about that constantly, but I guess that's dependent on where you live. But the people of Israel used to worry about that regularly. In fact, because they had embraced the worship of idols and because they had rejected the true and living God, the Lord told them it would definitely happen to them. Now, this passage speaks of the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, two areas in the northern kingdom of Israel that would experience great gloom and pain. In time, that area was invaded by the Assyrian army. It was swarmed with their troops who trampled the people, ravaged the land. Uh, They brought death. They brought destruction. They brought judgment with them. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to live through that kind of experience, to see your homeland conquered by an invading army and life as you knew it completely uprooted. It must have been devastating. And it's understandable that there would be much gloom connected with that event. But thankfully, the story didn't end there. In contrast to the beating that the people and the land took at the hands of an invading army and the darkness and gloom that came upon them as a result, the Lord revealed through the prophet Isaiah that a time would come when that region would experience glory. This portion of Scripture begins to speak in a combined way of the first and the second comings of Jesus Christ. He is the one who would bring the light of his gospel into this spiritually and socially darkened place. Isaiah lived and prophesied about 700 years prior to the incarnation of Christ. Now, looking 700 years forward into the future, he spoke of a time when the people walking in darkness would see a great light. Those who were consumed with doom would experience great joy. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, would come to them and would multiply their joy exponentially. In fact, the Apostle Matthew recorded that Isaiah's prophecy had been fulfilled in Jesus when he wrote in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. This is what it says in that passage of Scripture. This is how Matthew expresses it. It says Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah's prophecy, but I'll jump down to verse 17 of Matthew 4, and this is what it says there. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, "Repent." for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus brings light into the darkness. This is what the light of Christ still accomplishes in the life of those who trust in him. His light has power to chase darkness away. He invites us to repent or to turn from walking in darkness and to walk in his light. His light enables us to see ourselves from his perspective. His light helps us to see beyond our present moment in time into the glorious future He has assured us of. His light helps us to discern truth from error. His light helps us to respond to one another with love and forgiveness. We no longer need to walk in darkness because the light has come. Isaiah's prophecy also tells us something else about Christ. Jesus brings rest where there was burden. Look at what it says in verses four and five of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter nine. It says this, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, I've said it many times, and I'll say it again, but everyone seems to like snow until they actually have to shovel it. And I have to say, I feel quite bad for the youth pastor of our church. His name is Dylan. And uh, this week, he had a rough week. On Thursday, I heard someone walk into the church, and then I heard a knock on my office door. And when the door opened, it was Dylan. And we talked for a minute, but he showed up after pulling an all-night shift clearing snow, because he also works at a local university, and they called him in to help remove snow, and he looked exhausted. He was at our church 3 hours earlier than necessary because it didn't make sense for him to drive home and so I just encouraged him just take a nap. I said just just find some comfortable chairs or a com- comfortable spot here in the church and and just take a nap. And he said he'd be okay because he had the next day off and he thought all right, you know, I could I could just rest then. I have Friday off, I could just rest then. So I sent him a text on Friday to let him know that I hoped that his day was restful and he informed me that he got called back into work because there was more snow on the way. And sure enough, we got a few more inches of snow Friday evening. Now, sometimes in life, and I know Dylan would identify this, but sometimes in life we experience seasons that are physically burdensome. Other times we wrestle with emotional burdens. What do we crave during these seasons? For many of us, we crave rest. We want a break from what weighs us down. We want someone to come alongside us and lift our burdens from us. In Christ, we find this kind of rest. The images that are described in this passage cause us to picture people who are weighed down with heavy yokes on their backs. It gives us an image of being taken captive or living like slaves. We're shown a glimpse of people here who are being treated like animals as their backs are described as being subject to the striking of their oppressor's rod. This happened to the people of Israel in the literal sense when they were taken as captives by Assyria. But it also serves as a picture of the reality of what it looks like to be overcome with the burden of sin. But what has Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, done with the oppressor's rod? What has he done with it? Well, the scripture tells us he has broken it. And what does he do with the boots and the garments of the armies that amass against his people? Well, those objects are used as fuel for warmth instead of tools to aid in destruction. Jesus secures the victory over the oppressing forces of evil, and he shares that victory with us so that in him we can find the rest we need. Rest is an important thing to God. Throughout the scriptures, he speaks of it, and he graciously offers it to his children. Let me share some of the scriptures that actually reference it. One of them is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 14, and this is what it says. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. I like what it says in Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2. This is what we're told in that passage. It says, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest matters to our Lord. The Lord graciously offers His rest to His children, and He wants us to live in the midst of it. I read something earlier this past week by a man named Larry Shell, and Larry Shell said this. He said, In the Philippines, I heard a local pastor use the following parable to illustrate Christ's offer of rest and the response of people who won't trust in him completely. The driver of a caribou wagon was on his way to market when he overtook an old man carrying a heavy load. Taking compassion on him, the driver invited the old man to ride in the wagon with him. Gratefully, the old man accepted. After a few minutes, the driver turned to see how the man was doing, and to his surprise, he found him still straining under the heavy weight, for he had not taken the burden off his shoulders. So in that that example there, you see a man who is offered a ride, but still chooses to carry the weight. Is your soul experiencing daily rest in Christ, Or are you still convinced that you have no choice but to carry your burdens alone? I bring that up because that's something that I wrestle with so often. And sometimes I find myself slipping into this state where I don't even realize initially that I'm trying to carry my burdens alone. And yet when you look at Scripture, we're promised in Scripture time and time again that Christ offers us rest. Our Lord offers us rest. He invites us to give our burden over to him, and he brings rest where a burden once existed. But so often we choose to carry our burdens in our own strength instead of giving them over to him. But our Lord wants us to experience daily rest, daily trust in him. So I don't know what's been burdening you lately, but whatever it is, give it over to him. He desires to carry it for you. Isaiah was prophesying that to the people of Israel. And those words have reached our ears and our hearts as well, and Christ invites us to live that out, to give our burdens over to Him, and to find rest through faith in Him. One other thing that Isaiah brings out in this passage is that Jesus reigns with justice and righteousness. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. During the Christmas season, this is one of my favorite scriptures to see referenced on cards or to see referenced in a variety of other ways because Isaiah here gives very specific details regarding the birth of Christ and regarding the ministry of Christ and regarding the nature of Christ in this particular passage. He tells us that a child would be born among the people of Israel, he would be a son who was given as a gift of grace and in time the government would be upon his shoulder. He would be the one who would rule with peace and benevolence, which would stand in stark contrast to the foreign nations that invaded and oppressed Israel at different times in their history. The people of Israel were looking forward to the day when they would once again have a king like King David. God had promised David that the day would come when one of his own descendants would rule from his throne forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The eternal Son of God took on flesh and was born to Mary, who was a descendant of David. When Christ returns, Scripture tells us that all nations will bow before him as king, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. His reign will never end. He will establish peace, uphold justice, and promote righteousness on this very earth. The Scripture speaks both of Christ's humanity and His divinity. In addition to being born as a child, we're also told that He would be called Wonderful Counselor. The idea here is that He would be an advocate or one who pleads our case, who also inspires awe among us. He's our Wonderful Counselor. We we stare at Him in wonder. We think of Him with wonder. He's also called Mighty God. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God in flesh. He is likewise referred to here as Everlasting Father. This is a way of telling us that He is the source or the Father of life everlasting. Christ is also described as the Prince of Peace. Through Him, our souls and this world find the peace that we can't find anywhere else. And just as Jesus has promised to literally and visibly reign on this earth at some future point, he desires to reign with justice and righteousness in our lives right at this very moment. Someone is calling the shots in your life. Someone sits on the throne of your heart. Wouldn't you rather it be Jesus, the Prince of Peace, than someone else? I read something this week from the Word and Life Study Bible, and this is what it says. Some people are driven to accomplish great tasks with their lives. Others live aimlessly from day to day, lacking purpose or direction. Either way, Jesus affects the outlook of a person's life. He gives his followers purpose and a mission to live as subjects of the kingdom and promote kingdom values in everyday life and work. Ultimately, he wants his followers to extend his message to the ends of the earth so that all people have the opportunity to give their allegiance to him as their savior and king jesus has taken away our gloom and he's replaced it with the joy of his presence and he desires to rule and reign on the throne of your life and my life and isaiah reminds us in this portion of scripture that that is indeed possible because our lord has made it possible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that at this time of year we're given different reminders of who you are and what you came to this earth to do. Lord, we know that you chose to take on flesh so that you could live the perfect life and fulfill the requirements of the law on our behalf. You died on the cross to pay for our sin because our sin deserved the punishment of death. But you took it upon yourself so that our sin could be atoned for. Lord, you rose from the grave on the third day and you defeated sin, Satan, and death. And you offer that victory to anyone who will trust in you. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that by your grace that our trust in you would be very strong and that we would walk with you faithfully each and every day. As men and women who are grateful to be part of your eternal kingdom, and as people who look forward to the day when you will reign on this earth. Lord, we're grateful for all of these things, and we're grateful for these reminders that we see in this portion of Scripture. Commit it to our minds and commit it to our hearts, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, be sure to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, to download a free 30-day devotional that we have available for you there. It's called Desire Jesus, Volume 10. We hope you'll download it and enjoy it. And again, it's available at desirejesus.com. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.